0: It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Greetings, one and all. Today on Soundtrack Alley, I've got special guest Tim Benson with me as we talk about one of his favorite movies, Dune. Today on the Soundtrack Alley podcast. To okay <laughs> well thanks for having me yeah um, no problem tim
1: glad you yeah. could come yeah so yeah like i said this is one of my favorite movies like top 10 ever uh-huh. um i'll probably reference star wars a lot as we as we go because this was my star wars oh like, okay I, I saw this first this is the one where i was like wow you can do that you know and then <laughs> i saw star wars and, and go on but uh but yes i love the movie and Yeah, happy to talk about it.
0: Yeah, uh, it's great to have have you on the show. Um, So you mentioned that it's one of your top ten movies.
1: Absolutely.
0: So uh, what makes it your top ten?
1: You know, there's a couple things. Uh, I mean, the story itself is amazing, obviously. I didn't actually read the book, any of the books, until maybe five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, So I genuinely just loved the movie. Um, The story is great. The special effects as terrible as they are <laughs> you know at the time they weren't they're I mean, not bad yeah and you know some of them you know the suits the uh like personal force field oh yeah it's a lot of mockery oh but yes i yes. loved it uh-huh. like if i was going to design a force field for myself that's exactly what it would look like because <laughs> that's what you get by with yeah you know? yeah um you know the the acting uh, some of them are great some are terrible mm-hmm. uh david lynch the director well, he was,
0: yes. I was looking at my notes, and there was a point where he was a radio operator on one of the mining ships yeah. that Paul and Duke Leto Atreides were rescuing from a sandworm. Yeah, little so uncredited role. I thought that was kind of yeah. cool.
1: Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I just love the movie. Um, some of my favorite favorite parts, um, you know, the two quotes for me, uh, Fear is the mind killer and the mm-hmm. sleeper is awoken. Um, those give me goosebumps every time. (laughs) I actually watched the theatrical trailer Uh to the movie this morning. Oh, okay. Just in the, and it's a terrible trailer. (laughs) Just in the trailer, it gave me goosebumps. Oh, I got it. I just love them. Um, but going back and really thinking about it, thinking about myself, um, again, Star Wars, that moment where Obi-Wan Kenobi says, we fought in the Clone Wars. Like, that opens your world to, like, what are the Clone Wars, right? Every single line of dialogue in Dune g- gives me that feeling. Mm, like, okay. they're always talking about something that has millions of years of history, yeah. and you don't get any of it. And So that that lived in, that history, that's what I really... I look back and I love that kind of stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. And so Dune, Dune is just wonderful with that, so...
0: Well, like, even... This little quote The Duke will die
1: before these eyes, and he'll know, he'll know that it is I, then Vladimir Harkonnen, who encompasses his doom.
0: <laughs> That's one of the quotes that stand out to me. Uh, another quote is when Paul and Jessica are escaping from the cotton floor. That's, let's see what they call it uh the flopter or the copter
1: oh yeah yeah, yeah. i don't know what it's called. anyway
0: uh when they're escaping from that he says if you walk without rhythm you won't attract the worm okay there is a fat boy slim song <laughs> that uh in the youtube video it's christopher walken and he's like dancing in this office building and uh, there's a point in the song where they say... Walk without rhythm, it won't attract the worm. Walk without rhythm, and it won't attract the worm. Walk without rhythm, and it won't attract the worm.
1: If you walk without rhythm, you never learn. Some of the quotes the Harkonnen. Have you ever listened to... Have you read the book?
0: Yes. Uh, I've read ever... the book, and then I've listened to the audio so version.
1: There are two. There are two audiobooks. Oh, are there? One of them is... Oh! One of them is fantastic.
0: I want to get the one that's fantastic, yeah. because I've listened to the one that's got irregular dialogue.
1: Yeah. The It's the so terrible. Cast. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I actually started listening. I started listening. I've listened to both. Uh I started listening to the full cast version again yesterday. It's so frustrating. Yes. It's like they cut it together much later. Um, Yeah. But the guy who does Harkonnen's voice. Yeah. Like, so much better than the actor in this movie. Yeah. Like, this is David Lynch, Harkonnen, (laughs) not Frank Herbert. No. But it's still still wonderful. You know, gross for gross's sake, but... (laughs) You get by, you know?
0: Exactly. I completely understand. Um, One thing, like, have you ever noticed with some of the things that are in the movie, like some of the costuming, and you wonder, where did they come up with that? Um, I watched this short video that Sean Young, who plays Chaney, in the movie. She'd made a six-minute YouTube video that shows background like behind the scenes okay. footage and they showed how they made the suits like they had a, them in full body cast to actually design the suits hmm. but then uh patrick stewart and max vine Sydow, they both were saying the suits <laughs> were super uncomfortable yeah but max von Sidow, he he liked the way his body looked in it <laughs> it was hilarious to you, hear about that the suits like, oh, are
1: cool yeah you
0: know yeah. i wouldn't
1: want to wear them. no <laughs> but but yeah some of i think it's funny looking at like the harkonnen costumes yeah uh versus the atreides costumes and yeah. the still suits and the fremen like just all of that like one of them looks really cool and one of them looks like David Bowie. You know, and...
0: <laughs> yes. Well, thinking of that, you know how Fade Rafa is played by Sting? Sting, yeah. Well, originally, when he was to come out and, you know, just first time on the screen, he was supposed to show up naked. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like, um, he was... Uh... Oh, yes. It... In my notes, uh, Fade, he was originally supposed to step out of the steam bath nude.
1: And that, that makes sense. Sting as...
0: had even agreed to do that. Yeah. But then the studio panicked, and so the costume designers put him in this like skimpy winged g Yeah. So that way he wouldn't be completely nude. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it does. It was, it
1: was like a metal bikini with, like, flash wings. Yeah. You know, it was terrible. Yeah, but yeah. I, I guess I'm glad he wasn't <laughs> weird, but... Yeah, it was, like, the movie... There's so many things about it. Uh, this is the first time, you know, getting ready for this podcast. I watched the movie specifically listening mm-hmm. to the music. Oh, yeah. thinking, like... You know, and there's so much uh, sound effects Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, you know, like Academy Award nominated movie for sound, not Mm -hmm. for the music, but for the sound, you know, and there's so many, you know, machines humming and wind, you know, sand blowing, all of that stuff that even when the music comes in, sometimes you, you You miss the music because
0: you hear the sound effects rather than the music itself.
1: Yeah, and I think they did a great job on purpose. They did, you know, they used instruments and, and the elements of the music to specifically capture those, those feelings of where you were in the world and what was going on in the movie. Um, and I don't know if you'd ever heard of Toto.
0: Yes. Yeah, Okay. Uh, the only song I really connected with that group is Storms in Africa. Okay. And that's the only song that I've actually, recognize yeah. them for except for the soundtrack to dune okay and they've never done any other no, no, no. score <laughs> ever
1: you know it's, but it's a some, weird story
0: some rock groups they'll do one film like queen yeah queen exactly did flash gordon yeah. and that's the only no they did a uh, Highlander too. Yeah, they,
1: they did a couple.
0: Yeah, but yeah, they did Highlander too. But it's
1: tough, you know, like yeah. ac and Maximum. Sometimes there's yeah. a movie and a band, and it just makes so much sense to put them together. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um,
1: but yeah, Toto's uh, "Rosanna" or "Rosanna." Mm-hmm. Uh, oh That's yeah. that's yeah. the you know their huge hit. Um, but looking at like the history of the band, it makes a lot of sense that. You know, you think of David Bowie a lot, and you, not not just because of Sting, but because of the musical influence that that they all overlapped quite a bit. Yeah. And then I didn't I don't know much about him, but Brian Eno.
0: Um. um yeah. He did yeah, the he prophecy did theme. The prophecy theme.
1: You know, he's a, an amazing producer, and he does a lot of electronic work, and so uh, it just made a lot of sense. For for all of these people to come together for this movie, yeah, um, and some of the things I think about a lot when I'm watching the movie, and this is what I love about music and movies is that you don't notice it mm-hmm. if it's good, yeah, but you you feel it in in a way that you don't necessarily explain or can't describe. So I think of Blade Runner a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, it makes sense because Vengellis, yeah, some of the um, team that got together to do their early drafts of. Uh, Dune, back when Jodorowsky was. Oh yeah, it, yeah, exactly.
0: That... He had that. Uh, he had that '70s movie because he had he had tried to get like a whole bunch of different people involved in it. He was going to have Orson Welles as yeah. the Baron.
1: Yeah, he had. Um, so De Laurentiis. The thing
0: for... That soundtrack was going to be done by Pink Floyd.
1: Yeah, well, so that, was, that would have that been was, really weird. That was one of his choices. Oh yeah, but yeah, De Laurentiis brought on Jodorowsky to do Dune, and uh-huh. and it just didn't come together. But what he did, Jodorowsky assembled a team of you know H.R. Geiger and um, Brian Eno, all these people that that came together to work on Dune. They worked on it for two years, and then it all fell apart. Well most of that team stayed together and went to work on blade runner oh okay uh because uh Doroski was replaced by ridley scott
0: yeah and ridley scott, and ridley scott. Out from the project and did and he
1: took the whole team blade with runner. him yep. yeah he took that whole team but they had all these raw files and de laurentis stuck around and brought on david lynch so it makes so much it's, it's stuff i didn't know until yesterday you yeah know, i was like doing research <laughs> on this and it's like it wow just, i
0: didn't know that <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm like, can you imagine a Ridley Scott Dune? Yeah, you know? that would have um, been
0: amazing, actually. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, it really would have been... You could have seen, actually, more sequels to it. Yeah. Because he would, have, I think he would have done a better job.
1: Yeah, I think David Lynch was way too much, like, anti, um, you know, the production house. He didn't want to work with the studio. He yeah. made a three-hour movie, and they wanted to, you yeah. know, so I think... He says it's his biggest failure, or something like that. Yeah, Uh, yeah. He
0: he didn't like. He thought that his movie was just tanking. Yeah. Because of how he felt he wasn't directing it well.
1: Well, he one of the things he I can't I'm not gonna quote it, but I'm gonna say one of the things he said was that De Laurentiis had such a specific vision for the movie that David Lynch didn't really get to have his own vision. Yeah. You know, that it was always, well, what do you want done? And, you know, David Lynch had to go film and then come back and, and it was never going to jive. Yeah. You know, so it's unfortunate. Um, you know, David Lynch has made some masterpieces mm-hmm. and he's made some dunes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <But laughs> I'd say that loving. Me,
0: so. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, I didn't know before I had done research that the desert that they used was the Mexican desert and they only used three square miles (laughs) of that desert.
1: Move the camera? Yeah. Yeah. And
0: then um, that they had to like share that set of desert with another company um, that was already doing a movie. Uh, I don't even remember what they were calling it, but it was, uh, it was a film that they were doing in the Mexican desert, and they had to wait, uh, on the other team to get out of there before they could finish filming.
1: And I know they filmed some in Oregon, Mm -hmm. um, and then the other Mexican desert, that's... I mean, it makes sense. Oh, you're yeah. to be in a desert. But yeah, exactly. Was, so the thing cost a ton. It was like a $40 million movie. Yeah. But you hear stories like that, and you're like, where did you spend $40 million? Exactly. You didn't even get your own desert. Like,
0: I mean, they used one of their costumes was a garbage bag. Yeah. At the very beginning of the movie, the Spacing Guild, um, like, assistants or something. Oh, yeah. They're... They're all in garbage bags, and they make them look like their costumes. And it's like that was cheap.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't. You have to wonder if if it was the, you know, David Lynch. You go back to his movies before this. I mean, a racer head. Yeah, had such a small cast, such a small budget. You wonder if this wasn't Lynch's first. Like, oh, oh no, like. I got in way too deep. <laughs> way like, too deep. There are yeah. like 180 people working on this movie today, you know, and yeah, uh, you, you know, maybe he just didn't spend the money wisely and mm-hmm. know, stuff like that. So, but I did look uh, looking at the soundtracks, you know. So there's the original soundtrack, um, which has most of the music. Um, we talked about a little about this before we started, and then they released a score, yeah. which is just
0: it's the same thing, it's the exact only same thing.
1: yeah. yeah. I don't know why
0: they put out two soundtracks to say, oh, look, here's
1: another one. Well, like they changed. One is the soundtrack and one is the score, but they're essentially the same, but the score, the second one, um, had a bunch of the early Brian Eno stuff. Mm -hmm. So before Toto was brought on, Brian Brian Eno Eno
0: did a lot more. Well,
1: he composed and recorded an entire soundtrack. Yeah. So they had all this background music to work with, um, which... I, I thought it was really interesting, uh, but the score was pretty poorly produced.
0: Yeah. Um, um. Even though, like, I listened to it this morning, and the way I felt about it was, it had a very mechanical feel. Like there were so many parts of the score that felt very metal. Like, yeah. like. They were using metal items in the score or something. And it reminded me of what Raymond Jawadi does. He did the Pacific Rim soundtrack. Oh, okay. And he's done... He did Iron Man. Okay. So he has a very metallic
1: yeah feel
0: to his score. And that's what I felt with Toto. That they did that a lot with this score.
1: I mean, I'm going to say this out loud, but... Watching it today, so I watched the movie again this morning. Uh-huh. Um, watching it, there were a couple times where I, I very distinctly thought of the Masters of the Universe movie. Oh yes. with the like that keyboard t- yeah. transporter oh. thing. Like I thought of that yeah. so many times during the, so.
0: Well, when I, you know, funny you mentioned that, um, you know that instrument that Patrick Stewart.
1: Oh, it brings out the, the, like long. It's guitar-ish... an actual,
0: it's an actual instrument. Um, let's see if I can find it in my notes. It's like uh, a lute
1: of, of a no, certain it, kind, isn't it?
0: It was, and I can't find it. But it was a some sort of music. Oh, here it is. It's, it's called it's called a Chapman Stick. Okay. And it's an electronic guitar and bass created in the seventies by Emmett Chapman. Who plays the music that
1: we heard oh, in okay. the movie? Oh, okay. Yeah, because he's. He didn't invent it, well, The mm-hmm. instrument?
0: Uh, Emmett Chapman did. Yeah.
1: Wow. Yeah. Okay. He invented the actual. Was he's one of the Toto band members, isn't he? Yeah, okay. I think yeah. so. Okay. Yeah,
0: but that's kind of cool. Yeah,
1: you invented It's like, oh, wow, well,
0: there's a real instrument. Yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. I was looking at... So, you know, I grew up on this watching it on TV. Mm -hmm. Um, And the the, movie... I've only seen
0: the four-hour version once.
1: And to me,
0: it doesn't really add anything.
1: Yeah. And the four-hour version, David Lynch would not work on it. Like, he he will not talk about doing, he will not work on it. So it was all studio-produced four hours. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I grew up on a TV, so two hours... With commercials, yeah, which is a terrible way to watch movies, but it's what I got. Um, I then, you know, I bought the DVD and I watched it. Not very well produced, yeah. Um, definitely not formatted for.
0: Oh, especially now, like you rent it. I rented it from the library, yeah. And the way it presents widescreen, it's set up for a smaller TV, yeah, and in, intentionally. I mean, it's still widescreen. It's like
1: a twenty-seven-inch widescreen TV. Yeah. is how, it, and you can zoom it in, obviously, and then it distorts. Yeah, um,
0: but it's just not as well. But then, as you're watching it, you kind of ignore that. Yeah. that's not there. Yeah,
1: that's that's the ninety-seven DVD yeah. release, yep. which had uh, the music was cut. Oh, differently okay. yeah. than the theatrical release, and uh-huh. then the TV release, they cut it again. <laughs> um, so there's there's two songs that aren't on the soundtrack. Yeah, that are in the TV cut version that from uh, Brian Eno or Brian. Yeah, Brian Eno. Um, yeah. You know, and then the Blu-ray release was simply a copy and paste of the DVD. Of they the didn't remaster thing. it. They at didn't all. do anything. No, they didn't to do anything. It? I guess. Uh, they did. They did fix the formatting, but all they did was zoom it in. Like, they didn't oh, that's actually. It? Yeah, they didn't actually do anything. So <laughs> they just simply put it on Blu ray. They didn't ray. clean
0: it. They didn't no. clean it up or anything. Uh, well, so... think about it this way that the much better version of Dune uh, is actually the miniseries. Oh, yeah. Um, have you seen the miniseries? Yeah, I've
1: seen the first one once like i saw it when it was on tv the like one I, before for, dvr on sci-fi? yeah before yeah. dvr was yep. invented like i stayed home <laughs> yeah. to watch it to watch live. the whole thing yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> i have it on okay. dvd and it's leaps and bounds better yeah than the david lynch movie
1: from like the objective like this is a better made <laughs> movie <Yep>. absolutely agree <laughs> from the subjective totally disagree (laughs) like like there's because this
0: this david lynch movie is still your favorite
1: yeah like you know like lady jessica yeah totally like yeah princess leia has nothing on lady (laughs) jessica you know and um i'm gonna blank out
0: on who Who has
1: absolutely no reason to be in the movie. Like, she's the the daughter of the Emperor. The
0: only talk that she has in the film is the intro. Yeah. She doesn't talk through the entire movie.
1: Well, that's because... And because David Lynch didn't have plans to include her at all. Yeah. uh, Even though in the book... Yeah.
0: Well, she is voiced. Like, there are certain parts of the movie... Where she actually narrates,
1: yeah, through parts um, of it. Yeah, the book. I mean, Herbert uses her in the future. Every books. chapter. Yeah. Every um, chapter
0: is like a a title, is her.
1: Yeah, her quote. Yeah. Um, because she's writing the history, you know, yeah. and stuff like that. But the studio brought her back in a year later to mm-hmm. record the intro to the movie.
0: Oh, yeah. And that's how yep. they
1: they cut, like, 30 minutes off the movie by doing that. Yeah. And then they added another voiceover in the prophecy sequence, uh-huh. and it yep. cut another 10 minutes out of the movie. Like, yeah. they used her to cut the film down.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, but yeah, she has absolutely no reason to be in that movie. Yeah. You know, but, yeah, totally. Um, but I'm, I'm blanking on um, his sister's... Name, um, oh, uh, Paul Atreides' is yes. you know little sister. Like she is awesome. Like <laughs> super creepy when she you know throws her Conan out the yeah. out the wall. I out guess out the wall you know, and like... then he
0: goes flying away and then she... dead.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Eden, eaten by the worm and she crawls out and like her her little headpiece gets messed up and uh, yeah, I, I love and she's
0: got red hair. Yeah, like in like. Even though she's got that cloak on and that hood, there's a scene where you can see that she's got red yeah. hair.
1: when she's climbing out, her headpiece gets all messed up yeah. and her hair starts to fall out, and yeah. she you're reminded, very that intentionally, um, you're reminded that it's Jessica's daughter. But you're also reminded that she's like four. Yeah. Um, and that was that was an intentional choice to mess up her headpiece to remind you that this. Like four, I don't know how you know whatever age she's advanced to be. Mm-hmm. Um, she just killed this guy, you yeah. know, and she is <laughs> messed up.
0: Well, even in the books with um, Dune Messiah, yeah, the book is actually like the audio narration is very good.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, I've listened like to the... the
0: one where it's you know how they have the first book as the full cast narration. The second book has two-cast narration, but it's excellent. It's it's far better than the first.
1: Male-female? Yeah. yeah. And those are, like, Wheel of Time does that. And it's so
0: good. And that book is very well done, and it's very complicated and very political, and it's very, I don't know, it just takes you into her character and shows you man she is really messed up because yeah. of how she became who she was yeah,
1: the water of life in in yeah. the womb yeah. yeah that's yeah the second book all about her and then for me children of dune is where i start to lose it yeah um like i you start to it's real tough for an author to have a preachy character yeah without becoming preachy themselves yeah and, and i feel like I the think third that's book, what
0: he did yeah from that point on because I listened to the third book as well, and I got that same feeling. And then I was like, I'm done. I'm I can't done. Yep. I can't read God Emperor of Dune or Chapter House Dune mm. because I know it's gonna be the same. Yeah. And I hear that Kevin J. Anderson and Brian Herbert, when they did like the prequels and things like that, it becomes a much better series because it, you've got kevin j anderson behind yeah. it
1: uh have you read any of them no so but I've, I've read five or six did so. you read uh house atreides so i, I read the three house books okay. house atreides harkonnen and carino um and then i read the bootlierian jihad trilogy uh-huh. machine crusade line. yeah um so i read those six and then I've kind of checked in every once in oh, a while okay. and, like, listen to one, so... Well, they just released yeah.
0: one called Navigators of Dune. Yeah. Which brings out the Spacing Guild, and yep. you learn more about them. Ah, that would be good to learn.
1: That's actually... So, I mean, I, we talked about earlier, like, all the, like, little comments, like, how did this get here, and how did we get this, and, like, how long have we had the spice, and all these things that the original Dune brings up, it wasn't until his son started writing the prequel books mm-hmm. that I really got interested in, yeah. in the novels. And that's when I read Dune, you know? So yeah. It's, well, like
0: even there was one of my notes, uh, it was talking about, uh, why the Baron was so fat and disgusting. It was
1: David Lynch. <laughs> no,
0: actually. Well, I mean, yes and no, because, um, where was it? I had read... Uh, maybe I didn't put it in my notes, but... Um, yes, right here. No, this isn't it. Um, it was basically saying, in House Atreides, the reason why the Baron was so disgusting and fat, because he had tried to make out with one of the Benny Jesserit and uh, she cursed him.
1: Okay. With the scars. With the the...
0: scars and with the bloatedness because none of his house was like that. And he became like that because of what they did to him. Okay. So I found that interesting and it's like, oh, well, that totally makes sense now.
1: Yeah. It it makes sense that, um, you know, the the nephew, you know, played by Sting is so... Yeah. Yeah. And he's And why Baron Harkonnen is so enamored with him. Yeah. Because that's probably what he used to
0: look like. Yeah. Or what he should look like if
1: not for the witches.
0: (laughs) But yeah, I found the Harkonnens to be very, very homosexual. Yeah. (laughs) And it was a real uh, controversy at the time because they hadn't had a movie. To where they highlighted that in such a way, I mean, it's you know, it's part of that literature
1: yeah.
0: that you read about. With even Dune, you you get that feeling in the book. But anyway, yeah, that's and, just one point I noticed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, is there any other points you want to bring out about the movie, or
1: no? I think. Um... You know, I, I found it, you know, amusing that we talked about, like, you know, this Dune was Toto's only, you know, soundtrack. Only score, yeah. And it's, like, barely even mentioned in their, <laughs> their biography. Um, you know, a lot Maybe of Maybe the they music, were ashamed of it. Well, I'm, I'm sure it was more like just a job. You yeah. You know, like, they didn't, they weren't gonna sell records, you know, they weren't gonna go on tour with it. They were working on their own albums, you know... At the same time, so mm-hmm. doing the soundtrack probably was just like a—it was just like a job. Yeah. Like they got hired, they went in, they did it with the it was the Vienna Symphony. Yeah. Um, you know, they just went to work. The lead singer had you know nothing to do with it. obviously he's a singer. But, no yeah, because they wouldn't have any vocals.
0: Yeah. I mean, there was chorus through some of the scoring. Yeah. But they probably brought in chorus singers to do it.
1: And it was—I mean, it yeah—it wouldn't have been him. No, you know, his voice was definitely <laughs> not appropriate for this. No. You know? no, Um So I thought it was it was really neat to to hear the band come out in such a way. I mean, you really got to see how they play and how they melody, melo, you know, how they build melodies and and all of this stuff. And um, to be able to work with a symphony as a as a rock band, yeah, you know, like the Metallica well, symphony. Yeah, I love I love that. Uh, so. You can you can even tell with you know basic string instruments and percussions you can feel the guitar uh-huh. when there is no guitar yeah you know, those, those, I really enjoyed stuff like that throughout the song so
0: yeah I, I really appreciated the score even though you know like you mentioned earlier that it's not complete but listening to it it's very urethral it's very organic. Um, there's parts that are very, cl- like, metallic. <laughs> yeah. Because you can... There's that basic theme. Um, I think it's in... It's not the prophecy theme. It's another... It's the desert theme. Okay. That you can hear that guitar in the background. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, that's very cool to get that going.
1: The Yeah, the, the desert theme, the... It literally is called the Big Battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, has a, a ton of guitar in it. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was cool to see the rock band given control of a symphony. Yeah, uh, so. yeah.
0: And there's been other bands that have done that, but they've been far more successful with yeah. it. Yeah. Like you look at the most the most current example I can think of is the Tron Legacy soundtrack. Yeah even though the movie is by critics not very good
1: they're wrong they are they are wrong
0: i agree because i love dune or not dune tron legacy tron legacy is awesome and the score by daft Daft punk Punk, is amazing how does
1: disney get daft punk to do i don't know tron soundtr- like they have to be huge tron fans yeah. on like yeah. independently yeah to be able to work with disney
0: exactly and they did such an excellent job with their score that their ratings went higher because people were buying the soundtrack because it was so good
1: that was, so. that was definitely the first um the first soundtrack that i bought that was totally instrumental oh okay like i never bought Anything a soundtrack before or, well like
0: a score a soundtrack. score yeah yeah
1: maybe I mean the timeline might be wrong but I may have bought like a Star Wars score uh-huh. uh huh but that really doesn't count yeah like, yeah. yeah cause Star Wars. when you <laughs>
0: think about Star Wars it's like it's it's like a whole story yeah. that John Williams is telling and he's still telling it yeah cause he's doing the episode 8 soundtrack as yeah. well so that's pretty cool but I think I would agree with you Ed, that you know, it's it's hard to find the very first score that you may have listened to or say, I want this score. Yeah. And, um, and the first soundtrack I ever bought was Waterworld. Okay. And uh, it's by James Newton Howard. Yeah. And it's very good. I love that score. Hmm. And at some point, I'll be yeah, putting it on Waterworld, my podcast. Yeah. So uh, I... I I really like that movie as well. So, But that's all I've got. I mean, there's a lot of points that I could have brought out. Oh, I know what the name of those copters are. It was called an ornithopter.
1: <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> that's, I know, I know. It's so bad. So, I don't know. I don't think you've ever done this on your previous episodes, but would you suggest somebody buying this soundtrack? Um, Specific- just... On its own. Like, no attachment to Dune. Probably
0: not. No. Um, it wouldn't be my first choice of a soundtrack. I've heard far better. Yeah. I've talked about far better. Like, even on my blog, there are soundtracks that I'll just mention. Because they're good scores, but it's not really in my wheelhouse for a score. Okay. I wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to listen to the Dune soundtrack yeah. today. No, I... I would pick something with a better scoring to it. And, I mean, it's not that Toto did a bad job. They did a really good job, and they picked out the theme very well. But it's not a score I would recommend.
1: Yeah. Well, it's not made to listen to on its own. No. It's made to supplement the movie. Supplement and it, the movie, and it did yep. a good job. Yeah. But... Yeah, I'm not. I don't think I'm ever going to listen to Dune on, or Toto at all. Yeah. Actually, on on their own. So
0: yeah, I mean, I have the score, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to listen to that album. Yeah. Um, very yeah. often. So, uh, but that's. I mean, if there's nothing else you got, I was gonna play a few, a few songs that actually stand out to me. Yeah. Um, the first theme that i'd like to play is the main theme which really draws you into the movie and the point about that main theme is that it's throughout the whole movie yeah. they reintroduce it several times and uh it's very well known by now like the more you listen to it it's like oh yeah, dun, dun, yeah. Dun, dun, as it rolls
1: up on the worm yeah. Like, yeah
0: yeah and so that's what i'd like to play first and uh, then we'll move on from there. So after we played that, uh, the next theme I want to play is the desert theme, which is very, you know, good to listen to yeah. and really feel out for the music. Um, the desert theme represents the Fremen very well. And surprisingly with, uh, Mapes, the character in the okay, movie yeah. played by Linda Hunt, she dies so early in the <laughs> movie yes, and she dies much later in the book. Like, it's not very early yeah. in the book that she dies. And it's like, her character is really drawn out and more interesting.
1: Well, she's a pretty integral part of the, yeah. the Fremen tri- you know, tribe. Yeah. But uh, with a movie, you can't have as many no. uh, cast members. And they make so. it...
0: I mean, they make a book that has so much to it. Uh, when they take it and put it into a movie, it's not as well put yeah well I think so. you see it
1: a lot where you in a movie you've got to take a couple characters from the book and meld them into one yeah to get the point across mm-hmm. uh, which sometimes you do well and sometimes it's not here yeah. i just thought she was she was used in one environment and i thought used that it well was, yeah. yeah oh
0: yeah she was killed off well.
1: off screen though like, yeah yeah
0: <laughs> it's like really no so uh, that's what i'd like to play is um the desert theme And so uh, that gets us to our conclusion. Um, I'm glad I was able to have you on the episode today. Um, It would be nice to be able to do more for uh, future episodes. If there's a soundtrack that you're thinking about, or if you think of a movie that you'd like to talk about, you can join me and we'll talk about it and get another podcast going for it. Um so this last piece i'm gonna play is called take my hand and it's the last song that's actually in the movie that doesn't really even go with the book because he makes it rain and yet he still has so much to do yeah there's the part where he usurps the emperor's throne and changes the course of where dune the the planet goes so that's very interesting, but it's been having enjoyable having you on, um, and so next time that I have my podcast, I'll be doing the uh, film Candleshoe. I have the score to Candleshoe, and it's by, I can't remember right now, but I'll be able to bring it out and bring out some unique points about that score, and uh, so that's it for today, and happy listening.